0: WOMCHD3 Detroit, KMPS HD3 Seattle, WBMX HD3 Boston.
1: And on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast, Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now, 248-545-SOLVE. skyradio.com. Believe.
2: Are old ruins more likely to be haunted than other places are? What do we really mean when we say that a place is haunted? Are there fairies
3: in Scotland? It's a weird place to have that question. Well, hello there, and welcome to the 296th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And those questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. Well, our guest this
2: evening is a prolific author of regional books on the paranormal. I find that books like these are indispensable not only in getting to know a given area, but in adding depth to paranormal research case by case. And I think very often regional books on the paranormal are uh, not ignored, but aren't, con- aren't taken as seriously as they should be. And But I, I certainly do. Everywhere I go, I try and pick up uh, books from a, a particular area that have to do with their folklore and and uh, paranormal history. Anyway, a Welshman with an English accent who lives in Scotland with his French wife Jeffrey Holder is the author of more than 20 nonfiction books on strange mysteries, the paranormal, and crime. Jeff is known as a painstaking researcher, and his books are well-written, a mix of extensive historical study and diligent field research. He's also a darn good travel writer, I think. Stone circles, folklore, holy wells, lake monsters, and ghosts all feature, along with witchcraft, UFOs, fairies, big cats, and popular culture. Jeff also wrote the STV documentary series Mysterious Scotland. Now, he periodically ventures forth from his book-lined Irie in Perth, Scotland, to wave his arms, and this is a quote from him, to wave his arms in front of audiences and bellow about a wide variety of subjects, from cryptozoology and folk magic to hauntings and local mysteries. I guess Ben and I do the same things when we emerge from our lair. We bellow and flail our arms. Yes, well, you, you usually sell books. His books include one hundred... 100. Well, I'm sorry, 101 Things to Do with a Stone Circle, Haunted Aberdeen, Paranormal Dundee, The Guide to Mysterious Glasgow, The Guide to Mysterious Loch Ness in the Inverness Area, The Guide to Mysterious Perthshire, The Guide to Mysterious Sky and Localsh, La, and, La and his most recent, The Guide to Mysterious Iona and Staffa, and there are many more books. Jeff ventures south of the border as well in his book, The Guide to Mysterious Lake District in England, for those of you who are geographically challenged. And his website is www.jeffholder.com. That's Jeff, G the, the old spelling, G-E-O-F-F,
3: Holder.com. Jeff Holder, welcome to Behind the Paranormal.
0: Well, good evening. Thank you very much for having me on. Real oh, pleasure. Go you. ahead, Ben.
3: Uh, Ben's going to start us off with our questions. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm, <laughs> yes, I'm you just, are. I'm just kidding. Uh, do you consider yourself a folklorist? a paranormal researcher, historian, a travelater or a travel writer or all four?
0: Uh, all of the above. Oh, well, Good, okay. <laughs> there you <we> go. <laughs> all right.
3: So, what's the weirdest place in Scotland or where's the weirdest place in Scotland that you've been to and what exactly happens there?
0: Oh, that's a that's a that's a that's a <laughs> a good good place to start uh ben um i would say pretty much the whole of scotland has got the opportunity you know the possibility of containing strangeness pretty much everywhere i go i find those kind of things um but to, to give you sort of just uh two examples um great con- contrasting examples one in a very rural location i was uh taken by some archaeologists to a uh, an underground cave, which was used for um, Iron Age um, magical rituals two thousand years ago, um, and an extraordinarily numinous place, uh, very difficult to get into. And but in contrast to that, somewhere in, like in a very urban location in Glasgow. Uh, there's a cemetery in a, in a very sort of uh, economically deprived part of the city that 50 years ago was the site of a veritable vampire hunt by several hundred schoolchildren. So you have that sort of school contrast. Schoolchildren? Yes, seriously. All right.
2: Wow. You think you've heard everything. Okay. <laughs> Tell us more about that.
0: Okay. Um, uh, it was uh, the year 1954... And hundreds of school invaded uh, a cemetery in search of a vampire with iron teeth. And uh, this creature had apparently already killed and eaten two little boys. Um, These the brave parents. Kids. Say, say again? These were brave kids. Yeah, that's right. Well, some of them were armed with uh, homemade weapons like stakes and tomahawks. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the, the police had to be called to control them. Um, and the story got into the local press, and it, it was a sort of like a three-day wonder um, with sort of, uh, you know, headlines such as, you know, hundreds of children invade the cemetery in search of a vampire with iron teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and then after three days, uh, they, the kids were all saying, no, oh, no, no, that's a lot of nonsense. We don't believe that anymore. So it was a, it was a veritable three-day wonder, but it did change. Um, The political landscape of Britain for for a a while because the adults in the area all had to come up with some reason why the children were were hunting this vampire with iron teeth and they settled on American horror comics like um, Tales from the Crypt. Right. And, and so they ended up being banned um from <laughs> from from britain because they were because you know yankee trash was corrupting the imagination of our kids uh-huh. and uh, it, it came it, it ended up with the only time that the, the british houses of parliament have actually debated the actions of a vampire interesting <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, I, I was completely oh, unaware no. of that uh, it's, That sort it's of pre- a, precursor it's a, it's,
2: story precursors to the modern feral ghost hunters as we call
0: them i suppose indeed so yes
3: yes indeed uh good but yeah inspired by comic books and nonetheless
0: well, well anyway, they were actually ben they weren't inspired by comic books oh they weren't at the time no one had actually bothered to ask the children what they'd been reading and um a couple of years ago there's a documentary on the on the on the local radio about it and they went back and they interviewed the, the Men, women, who are obviously now in their 60s, and uh, they said, you know, it was a poor area. None of them had ever seen a horror film. Nobody had television. Nobody had ever seen an American comic book. Some of them didn't even know what a vampire was. But it was something (laughs) that, it was like a playground fad that just took off. The only
2: difference. Not to to digress here, I know Ben's got more questions, but uh, the the British, uh, I suppose, are sort of, I don't know, have had a love-hate relationship with, with horror literature in the past. Well, one thinks of, of attempts at British horror movies, such as Gorgo. And uh, I can't remember the actor's name, but he was in that. And, and the next thing I saw him in was Ring of Bright Water, the, you know, the wonderful, beloved story all over the world where <laughs> it's set in Scotland. And uh, how did he find himself from Gorgo to a, a wonderful otter? I don't know. But um, I don't know. Perhaps uh, it, it's a matter oh, of, it's... Um, of perception. But go ahead, Ben.
1: Okay,
3: so um, your book talks about everything from ghosts and UFOs to cryptids and fairies and all that wonderful stuff. Is there any one of those that is most common, or is it just a pretty even mix?
0: Um, well, cryptids is, by and large, a fairly recent phenomenon, by which reason I would say late 19th century onwards. Um uh Ghosts are uh, are universally popular as they have been in all cultures and and you know the the probably earliest writings talk about some kind of some kind of spirit the earliest writings are about paranormal subjects deal with some kind of spirits or of that kind of nature Witchcraft is almost uh universally popular to use a broader sense uh, the use of magic uh is is uni- universally popular in in these areas as well
2: uh huh yeah. Uh, I, I think of cryptids. It's interesting that, that you should... I'm interrupting Ben again, but you should bring up cryptids. Uh, I, I was in uh, Devon in England, in the uh, Devon and Somerset, in um, 1989, investigating the black beast of Exmoor, mm-hmm. so-called, which of course is a big cat. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, big cats were not common in Britain since the last ice age. They said they are not common. They were, were non-existent. I have a theory that I could just picture some old colonel from the Raj, you know, bringing back some sort of panther from India or something. And then when Parliament passed the Animals Act in, what was it, 76?
4: 76, yeah.
2: Yeah, just sort of releasing the thing into the wild, where where it apparently interbred, because I saw tracks that were huge, uh, interbred with uh, local lynxes or, or some other... DNA friendly critter and uh, ended up with the I I talked to many farmers who had uh, literally seen uh, these things sometimes in in pairs so uh, I just think when you mentioned the end of the last century that's about when perhaps people might have been bringing some of these things into the country
0: that's right. Uh, I, I'm, I'm quite envious of you there, Paul, because uh, you, you've sort of investigated that that particular uh, big cat case. I've, I've written a lot about big cats, uh, particularly in Scotland, and you know I've never ever come across I've never come across anything close. Although I've spoken to a quite a lot of uh, people who, who've seen them, D- can I just go back a little bit? Oh, by uh, all means. Uh, uh, you mentioned lynx. Lynx. Uh, Were native to Britain in the Dark Ages. They were probably exterminated in Scotland about a thousand years ago. Um, But there are there's a very small native cat, which is called the Scottish wildcat. It's much smaller than you know any of the big cats. Um, But there there is a suggestion that we might have three um, uh, exotic uh, uh, felid species in in certainly in Scotland. uh, the black panther, or you know, the melanistic leopard, uh, the North American uh, cougar, uh, and the lynx, and the, the, the There's a, a populations of lynx in Eastern Europe at the moment, and um, it, I've I've spoken to a an urban zoologist who suggests that, they, that at least two of those species are interbreeding, ah, possibly, all right, there po- we are. possibly creating even something like a, a British subspecies.
2: There we are. Well, I suppose that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thinks of the uh, and again i'm stepping on ask questions one thinks of the black dog phenomenon that mm. reported around the british isles and uh, do you do you have any examples of that
0: oh yes um to, to, just explain to 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 your listeners uh the, the black dogs are one of the most persistent um um creatures um, of supernatural folklore in britain um, and uh, they they have they have various names sometimes they're called the fairy dog or or something like that but they are always magical uh, they are always black they're always large some of them are quite fierce some of them are distinguished by the fact that they have red eyes or shining eyes some of them distinguished by the fact that they have no head at all um and there are there are pamphlets from the 16th and 17th century of people describing attacks by black dogs on individuals there's a, a church in the east of england that still displays the door with the scratch marks where a black dog a supernatural black dog apparently attacked the church mm. and I've, I've in the in the sort of folkloric stories I and mean, tales particularly from the uh, as late as the 1890s people are still reporting sightings of black dogs and something that's really really strange is that I found a place in the Lake District that in up to the 1930s there was a persistent tale of people sighting black dogs in the area and in exactly the same area in the 1990s people saw black cats ah <laughs> which which I'm, I'm, may, maybe they're variants of the same phenomena. I really don't know, but it is intriguing to find both of those both of those uh, elements in the sa- exactly the same location.
2: Cats and dogs. <laughs> I remember in '89 when I was when I was there in Devon. I happened to be uh, went to dinner with some local friends, and we were driving back. It was very dark, and and, and I, I, it's difficult for most Americans, especially in urban areas, to realize how dark <laughs> dark this can get. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're in in the middle of nowhere in Devon, a little, lovely little village I was in, and and simply to go out to step out one's door at night, you hear the occasional bell of of a sheep or a cow, but everything else is totally black. And we were driving down a little road that was about five feet wide, and there was a, the, one of the largest rabbits I ever saw came. Jumping across the road, and my, my <laughs> friend said, "Aha, the beast of Upcott, <laughs> the village where he lived." Anyway, Ben's
3: going to take us into a different different subject here, instead of talking about the Black Beast of Exmoor. So now let's go to something that's entirely different. Uh, what is the oldest UFO
0: report you've encountered? Um, about the eight, um, I would say about the eighteen nineties. 1890s. Okay. 1890s, and it, 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 it this is stretching the definition of UFO a, a little bit, but it was it was a, a something you've probably heard of. It was a scare ship. You now the the mystery <laughs> air, mystery airships. <laughs> i never heard the term scare ship. Scare but ship. It certainly, uh,
2: well, it certainly accomplished the task.
0: Yes, my, uh, mystery airships were being reported in places where there were no airships, and there had been no airships uh, from the 1890s, but it really kicks off in the first weeks of the First World War in 1914, when we have hundreds of reports of people seeing zeppelins in the north of Scotland and the northwest of England. And these were locations where the zeppelins could not have reached, physically could not have reached at the time. And there were no British airships in the area at all. But we have lots of witness statements from people seeing large zeppelin-type airships, and there was... Part of the war fever of the period, it is suspected, but there is there's a there's a spate within the first few weeks of war being declared in 1914. We have more than a hundred sightings of airships.
2: Well, that, that that's a uh, sort of a phenomenon that, that that's pretty well known. I mean, the, the the alleged attack on Los Angeles by the non-existent Japanese, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in 1941, uh, two I should say was was a very but, but the, the airship thing. Between 1909 and World War I was very interesting, and it happened globally, seemingly. Okay, that,
0: all right. Yes, that's right. Yes, we have uh, reports from the, the Pampas, uh, Argentina, New Zealand, all across the USA. Uh, it was an extraordinary phenomenon. Indeed. Oh, yeah. So, so I, I, think, I think it's a bit like the, the way that the nuclear weapons uh, colonized the imagination of all of us in, in the late, in late 20th century. I think, I think airships, you know, the fear of attack from the air, with this very new fear? I think that's what that's what was affecting people. It certainly makes sense. It's
3: always from the air, mostly. Yeah. Oh, well. So on to another entirely different subject. I when I was a kid, I, I loved I loved Loch Ness Monster. I would just I loved reading about it, and I was like, "Oh, that's so cool!" And like the way I acted is like I I could just go to Scotland and it would just come out of like Loch Ness and just shake my hand immediately. <laughs> so. What? <laughs> that's,
0: that, that's what that's what happens. That's really yeah, what
3: happens. yeah, yeah, yeah. You get off the plane. There he is. But um, where am I most likely to meet a lake monster in Scotland? Besides Nessie, who I, no one has seen in a few well, years. Well,
0: I, I, I'll tell you a secret, if I, if, if I may, and I'll, you know, just between you and me. Obviously, no one else. You know, no one else can. No else um, Oh to, yeah, no, no, yeah no. It's Just a secret. Yeah. Um, there's uh, Loch Ness has an entire tourist infrastructure surrounding it. The road's very good. There are two visitor centers dedicated to the monster. Jeff, I'm
2: afraid I have to stop you. We have a break coming up. I didn't know it
0: was so fascinating.
2: But we will come back to that subject. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal on CBS Sky Radio, newskyradio.com with Paul and Ben Eno. And we will be right back with our guest, Jeff Holder. Stay with us.
3: Join Mystic Radio with Robin Alexis Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern and 12 noon Pacific as metaphysical mother and TV personality Robin Alexis helps countless people around the globe live fuller and more conscious lives. Robin serves you using her gifts as a medium, medical intuitive, past life reader and more. Get your free on-air readings Wednesday at 3 Eastern and 12 noon Pacific, right here on the sky. And check out Robin's Soul Spa at RobinAlexis.com.
4: I know a girl, she puts the color inside of my world. Just like a maze Where all of the walls are continually changed And I've done all I can To stand on the steps with my heart in my head Now I'm starting to see Maybe it's got nothing to do with me Fathers, be good to your daughters Daughters will love like you do Girls become lovers Who turn into mothers So mothers, be good to your daughters too Oh, you see that skin It's the same she's been standing in Since the day she saw him walking away Now she's left cleaning up the mess he made So fathers be good to your daughters, daughters So mothers be good to your daughters too Boys you can break you find out how much they can take Boys will be strong And boys don't But boys won't be calm without one For a woman's good, good heart daughters will love like you do. Girls become lovers who turn into mothers. So mothers be good to your daughters too. So mothers be good to your daughters too. So mothers be good to your daughters too.
1: Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky Back to Behind the Paranormal With Paul and Ben Eno Call now 248-545-SOL NewSkyRadio.com
2: and we are back with Jeff Holder, our delightful guest. And Ben had just asked a question about lake monsters in Scotland, and Jeff had just begun uh, to explain, uh, I guess, the the uh, Nessie industry around the Inverness area. And uh, please uh, pick pick it up where you left off, Jeff.
0: Oh, okay, thanks, Paul. Um, well, as I, as I was saying, when the Loch Ness has an entire tourist infrastructure, um, hundreds of thousands of people go there every year. It's got very good roads on both sides of the Loch. there visitor the centres, boat trips, all that kind of thing. And all those many, many people produce a very tiny amount of even vaguely credible sightings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. Wow. Well, that,
2: but the, of course, the, the places in Ireland as well seem to be full of uh, alleged lake monsters. I mean, is there anywhere else that stands out in your mind? for Oh well,
0: yes, yeah, but that's what, that's what. Any I'm sort sure. of veracity? I think. I think there's some. There, there is actually a, a, a place that has perhaps a, a, a more considerable interest from this point of view it's a place called loch mora which is about 50 miles to the west of loch ness it's quite difficult to get to there's only one road that goes anywhere near it there's no road around the loch there's no um, easy way of walking around the loch it's remote it's got no infrastructure and it has a loch monster And uh, these are, this, the, and the sightings here are not from people out to find the Loch Monster. They're not sighted by tourists because there are very few people who actually get to go on the Loch. These are from the people who live and work uh, in the area around the Loch. Once again, the number of sightings is quite small, but they are, it seems to be rather more credible than many of the the sightings of, of Nessie and simply because there is Far less focus, far less attention on it. There may actually be something of interest in that particular Loch. Now, whether or not it's, you know, I seriously doubt, is any kind of dinosaur. To be honest, because right. yeah, there's, there's, you know, in Loch Ness there is nothing to eat. You know, there is nothing, nothing large can live in Loch Ness at mm. all because there is simply no uh, nutrients in the food chain. And Lochmara mora, loch mora is nowhere as big as Loch Ness, you know. So nothing large can live in it. But there may be something intriguing there, and certainly the reports are suggestive. Simply because of the nature of who's seeing it and um, you know what they know about the area.
2: Well, one wonders about. Well, having spent a lot of time in Canada and particularly in the St. Lawrence River area, I had a small boat, and and one would see enormous muskellunge, you know, fish. I guess, apparently they're related to the sturgeon. Mm-hmm. longer than my boat, and they would have a muscle lunch derby every year, or derby, as you might say, but, <laughs> uh, to uh, to try and catch these things. And good heavens, they could, could have made a movie like Jaws out of these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there are enormous fish. You know, on the other hand, we take the point of view in our work that you have, you know, the the quantum physicists are correct, and you have a multiverses of Different worlds and all possibilities exist, so it's possible you have overlaps and strange uh, cryptids can emerge from time to time. This might be why they never caught. But again, you know, we really don't know uh, anything. Okay, well, into some of my own questions here, <laughs> as if you haven't heard them yet, uh, have you detected any pattern to the general paranormal tapestry of Scotland? In other words, uh, do uh, you believe we're ley lines? Do things take a place along? those things, uh, anything to do with uh, any particular patterns during seasons or full moons or anything of that kind?
0: There's nothing that I've noticed that, that is seasonal of that nature. The one thing I, I would say is, uh, which is very much uh, the, the human factor, is what you might call celebrity culture, in particularly when it comes to ghosts. Hmm. So, for example, I'll give you an example, um, there was a, there's a a large mansion that's now operating as a hotel. It's it's not that far from uh, Inverness, and it's very close to the Battle of Culloden, which took place in 1746, and is a big big um, uh, factor in in Scottish history. Uh, I'd say so. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, someone uh, staying at the the house saw th- an apparition of a man, and when she was asked what. Uh, I'm about to describe it, she said, "Oh, it was Bonnie Prince Charlie," and they and they said, "Well, how do you know it was Bonnie Prince Charlie?" I said because he was wearing a kilt. Well, it could um, be anybody. Yeah, it could be anyone. But the, <laughs> the fact is that that you know, of all the uh, dozen, um, you know, dozens and dozens of, of men died in that house, particularly during times of war. From there, or to history, they're mostly anonymous, except to experts. Whereas mm. Bonnie Prince Charlie is famous, so it's uh, that sort of ghosts get taken over by celebrities so people say <laughs> you know, I, I, I i've i've se- seen i've seen bonnie Pinch charlie when, they, when what they've seen is an apparition of someone who appears to be from a previous period in scottish history but the only thing they can think of is oh it must be bonnie Pinch charlie because he's famous so that oh, kind of it. fame sort of gets in the way sometimes um i'm currently writing a book about uh, haunted saint andrews which is on the east coast of scotland and that has a number of famous people associated with it, particularly within the sort of the religious history of the area. And whenever people see ghosts in St. Andrews, they say, oh, it's Archbishop so-and-so because he was murdered there. Or uh-huh. it's, you know, you know, Cardinal so-and-so because he was murdered there. Thousands of men were killed during these periods, but it's only the very small number whose names we know get, who get get written down as being that, the identity of the ghosts. So that's one pattern that I've really noticed over the years.
2: Well, that that that's very very adept uh, to have noticed that, and it certainly seems to be true because we, we often refer to well, we we both on the show and in the class that we teach, we refer to a the, the context in which people experience things that they believe are paranormal. One, uh, if you see a wispy thing going through your living room, it's a ghost. If you see it in your backyard next to a silver disc, it's an alien. Mm-hmm. You now, and all these, it all and much of this depends on the context, and certainly what you've just described fits very well. In, into that paradigm, because uh, we assume it's the most famous person we know. Uh, very often, that's quite true. Quite true.
3: Uh, so wait, wait, wait! Hold on a sec. All right, this is kind of a question that I haven't asked, but I just it just popped in my head. Now I don't know if this, I don't know if you have any idea about this, Jeff. But what is like? Are there annoying feral ghost hunters in Scotland as well?
0: We call year? them
3: feral ghost. hunters. You know the type.
0: Um, yeah, I know the type. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose my words carefully here. Yes. Okay.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, we, we try not to step on too many toes here, but you well, know, well, you know,
0: there, 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 you know, it's very easy to run an investigation of this kind of thing very badly. Yes. And I've seen examples of that, and it's, it's, um, it's annoying, and it's, it and sometimes I think it's a bit... Uh, irresponsible as well. I think it's, well, more than a bit at times. I just,
2: you know, as someone who had some. I like to think academic background uh, in this and working with some of the, the finest parapsychologists of the day in the 60s and 70s, I should say the 70s. Uh, I do get rather frustrated, as does Ben, yeah. with, with these people because America and Canada, the you know, U.S. and Canada are full of these people and I understand from uh, my our good friend Shane Eno, no relation, in Denmark that it's, it's spreading rapidly to Europe by means of these television shows.
0: <sighs> yes, I, I concur exactly. I know exactly what you mean.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean these people. I mean there are many of them we know who have the, the very best of intentions, but we very seldom have them on the show. I mean, they're they're using 21st century equipment to try and prove 19th century ideas, and it's mm-hmm. it's, it's it's absolutely ludicrous. Um, and they don't talk to each other. There are politics and feuds and intrigues. I mean it's it's, it's nonsense. But of course uh, one can say the same about science at times. T- so uh, the, we're frustrated by
0: just by, by just. About one, one, of the things, one of the things I've noticed about uh, such groups in this in this country is that the the paranormal investigation is only the second of their purposes. The first uh, and primary purpose that they exist for is to actually fall out with each other, exactly, and exactly. split off in a precipitous manner into other groups where they are, go off and huff, and they go off in, and they, and they all have very similar names, so it's very difficult to uh, <laughs> to, dis- yeah. to distinguish. So the problem with that is it's difficult to actually. A, a distinguish them in terms of quality control. In terms well, of no,
2: well, there, I don't think there is any quality. I, I don't think that well, when you tell them that, for example, the, their electromagnetic field meters can be affected by a radar array miles away, or, 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 or a television or radio uh, transmission facility, uh, they they just you know it's, in the end it really doesn't mean much of anything and uh, there's no substitute for experience so mm-hmm. anyway we are uh, i'm coming up on another break and we will be right back on behind the paranormal with paul and ben eno on cbs New sky radio newskyradio.com, with our fascinating guest jeff holder author of many books on the paranormal in scotland and we will continue our conversation shortly stay with us take cbs radio the sky with you wherever you go be sure to download the radio.com app today from your mobile marketplace And when you really want to know more, 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 be sure to visit NewSkyRadio.com. Get in deep with exclusive articles and Sky News. Get your weekly horoscope and the inside scoop on host events. Radio.com and
1: NewSkyRadio.com. Stay connected. Enlighten. Empower. Enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New Horizons. No boundaries.
5: I need somebody, help, not just anybody, help. you know I need someone, help. Life's a game, win. Call and get advice from today's top coaches that are here to help you run a business, offer legal advice, enrich your relationships, or guide you on the right career path. Our coaches are expert professionals in their field to help you win the game of life. Listen to Coach Me Radio, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m.,
1: Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky Back to Behind the Paranormal With Paul and Ben Eno Call now 248-545-SOL New skyradio.com. Believe
2: And welcome back and we're talking with our guest Jeffrey Holder And we were mentioning the feral ghost hunters And the huge industry that seems to be spreading to Europe about this So probably the less said about that the better uh, we've always been interested in stone circles, Jeff. And, of course, naturally, uh, the British Isles are full of these. Um, what is the most powerful, if you want to say, stone circle that you have noticed in Scotland? Why is it powerful, if you believe that it is?
0: Well, that, that's a that's a, a good question. There is about 900 stone circles in the British Isles. Um, and, you know, I've only visited a, a, a fraction of those. They're some of my favorite places to visit, i'm notoriously at least amongst my friends insensitive to any any sort of feeling of uh, power or luminosity or, or yeah. uh, energy or anything like that uh, but i still find them absolutely t- t- small and magical places to visit um the i i would, I would say there's there's two that really um uh really have attracted me. One is a uh, stone circle in uh, the Lake District in northwest England. It's called Long Meg and Her Daughters, and it's a very large stone circle. I've heard of that. And long, and, uh, and, um, long meg is the, a, a very tall uh, stone that's just outside the circle. And the folklore of it is that long meg was a witch and she and her daughters were all turned to stone, uh, by the local, uh, uh, member of the church for, I think, dancing on a Sunday, I think, or so, so, some, something like that. But there is something it's about it. it. It's, it's deep in the countryside. It's not surrounded by any, any buildings. Uh, there are, um, uh, the ancient carvings, um, on, uh, marked on some of the stones that c- clearly were part of the, the, the ritual processes that were going on there. It, and it's, it's, I, I it's kind of a truly, um, uh, yeah, I think it has the, the really, a truly magical atmosphere. And then another place that, that really comes to mind is a place called Callanish. Which is a, a complex of stone circles, um, on the island of, uh, Lewis, which is, uh, off the west coast of Scotland. Once again, it's remote. It's windswept. It's rain swept, but it's very unusual in that the circle has arms going out in all four directions. So it actually forms the shape, if from above of a Celtic cross, hmm. which is a very unusual, um, um, Structure within the terms of the stone circles in the in the British Isles. I can't think of many others that have that. Sh- that so that that's a very special place t- for me as well.
2: Is, it, is that a pre-Christian site? Oh, they're all pre-Christian. Yeah, I would uh, think so. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah I
0: mean, they're, yeah, they're, yeah, they they they, they precede uh, Christianity by um, you know two thousand years at the minimum. Um, oh, no, no. So some of them are still being built in 1,200 so you know twelve hundred twelve hundred years minimum. But it's, it, it just so happens. It's, it seems that. Uh, this this structure is, uh, uh, replicates or echoes the later um, Celtic Christian cross. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a re- something you can only see from the air. Hmm. You can only see that shape from the air.
2: yeah oh, I hadn't, hadn't been aware of that. Certainly, the uh, uh, pre-Christian and the pagan and Christian links are rather intimate. Uh, really, all all over the world. But and uh, it, something that the many Christians wouldn't admit. Although it was a policy, as you know, of, of the early Church and of of the church once they came into places like the British Isles, to deliberately adopt pagan feasts and uh, to make it easier for people to become Christians, even if they had no choice. And uh, somehow, the whole business has been transmogrified into uh, and Christianized.
0: That's right. There, there are a number of um, churches in the British Isles, at least twenty that I can think of, that incorporate within their, their fabric either the fabric of the, the church itself or the fabric of the churchyard wall. They, they incorporate the stones of the stone circle that was on the site originally. That must make for some inter- interesting uh, events, I
2: would think at times because the the, uh, the I so I don't know if it's folklore, and I have run into a few things like this in. in researching paranormal reports that sometimes if you use stones that were used say in human sacrifice and this happened once I'm thinking of a church in in Central America where this occurred or actually I should say South America, Ecuador uh, where the... The stones were on an altar that were used for, I guess, I don't know who it was, or the Incas or whoever. And, and I guess they were farther south. Must have been the, uh, who was in Peru? I, Peru? I should say Ecuador. That would be the, in uh, Ecuador. Um, the Toltec, Toltecs, the Olmecs or the, uh, well, I whoever. Was, I think it was the Olmecs. Somebody who was doing the things that weren't very nice. And the, uh, they used the stones for the church and they had the uh, notorious hauntings and all this business, uh, which may or may not have been legitimate, but, because uh, I haven't researched it personally. But in any case, th- that can supposedly create problems. Um, one, let me tell you one experience I had, Jeff, at the Scorehill Stone Circle way down in Devon on Dartmoor. And it was Dartmoor is, uh, I suppose, that there's a good reason why Conan Doyle decided to set uh, down to the Baskervilles there. It's, it's very conducive to, uh, I suppose, uh, mystical thoughts, on a, on a, especially on an austere March day when it's raining. And uh, I happened to come into the Stone Circle, which, which is uh, not... Too easily acceptable. You have to know where it is. And I was um, leaning up against one of the the stones, and uh, I felt very lightheaded. And I was unable to take a clear photograph in this stone circle, which is one of the things that's commonly known among some stone circles, so I understand. But I happened to look out over the the moor. And, of course, the moors, as you know, are very different. It's very difficult to judge distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were there was a large tor, as they call it on Dartmoor, you know, a rock outcropping, and there was a line of what looked just like soldiers on horseback coming out of the uh, from behind this tor and just sort of marching across the ridge. I don't. Know, I suppose might have been a quarter of a mile, half a mile away, if that. And uh, I took photographs, and nothing came out in the photographs. So that's just one of the examples, I suppose, of, of energies that are supposedly mm-hmm. present in these stones. Do you know Paul Deverer from uh, the yes, I, I,
0: I've met Paul Deverer. Yeah.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, he's been on the show several times. And he, he'll tell you uh, from the, I guess it's the Dragon Project, of, mm-hmm. of pendulum, I suppose, standing straight up in some of these circles. Because of the energies involved, ge- geotechnic, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, anyway, uh, yeah, this is supposed to be your interview and I'm
0: yakking. No, no, let's good, but I'll, 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 um, I'll, I'll, I'll get, I'll go back to you with, with sort of my soul experience. Okay. Well, and this didn't happen directly to me, but I, I witnessed it. Um, I was visiting the, uh, the, the stone circle of Avebury in South England, which is oh, yeah. the, the largest, largest stone circle in the world. It's so large that the village is inside the stone circle. That's right. Um, and yeah, the, the stones are, are enormous. And um, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was young and I was a callow youth. And I'd been hitchhiking around, and I'd, m- I'd met uh, three other young people who were on a cycling holiday, uh, two young women and, and a young man, and we spent the entire uh, evening together. We thought it was wonderful, and in, in the end, we quite late at night we decided we'd go out and uh, pitch our tents somewhere and as we were walking through the stones through the actual circle of the stones one of the young women just collapsed to the ground just fell to the ground uh, completely unconscious uh, at the moment as we passed through the stones and none of the rest of us felt anything at all but she was not coming coming to at all so we you know, we, we sort of panicked a bit and in the end we sort of set up our tents very very um, quickly got her, got her warm and then she came to in a slightly groggy manner had no idea what had happened to her and we spent the rest of the night not sleeping and wondering what on earth had gone on and coming to no conclusions whatsoever uh, Ben might have a comment on that that sounds like something that might happen to a shaman oh
3: yes wait actually I don't have a comment but, what, <laughs> do you want to give, like, my input? Please. Well, you see, there was actually a stone circle we ran into in the middle of Connecticut, that weird thing that was near that, like, perfect perfect circle around a tree that also had a perfect circle and branches. Very strange place. Yes, yes. The The Earth is a very interesting place when it comes to stone circles. circles, because for some reason it directs, like, energy or some crap like that. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not an expert on these things. I'd ask Paul Dever or myself. But, I had a question, but I forgot what it was.
2: Well, you've had a rough day. Anyway, it was i I'll, um, I'll
3: remember it, I'll remember it. Yeah, the there was.
2: were, he didn't remember quite what happened, but we, we happened to be taping for a, uh, I suppose a pilot for a television show, and there were all sorts of uh, things that occurred to him. And the interesting thing about this area was that there was a military activity uh, in the area at, at the points of what we seem to, to identify or map out as, as, as a triangle that involved a house that we were investigating that simply started with quote-unquote ghosts and then got into ufos and it was really a, a
3: zoo so anyway right, uh, remember hey, now. okay okay so my question was um druids what do you know about them how long you got? <laughs> <laughs>
2: we got about two minutes before the next break.
0: Okay, very very, very quickly. Um, Druids were the priestly caste in um, Iron Age Britain. They were exterminated by the Romans, and they but they survived in Ireland up until the sixth century a d. Uh, because the Romans never got to Ireland, and therefore it's from Ireland that we know a lot more about what they actually did, how they actually practiced, um, and they, so they were they were real historical individuals, um, as is thing from the fantasy druids that were invented in the 18th century and that we largely see today. Ah, uh, okay. So what were what did the real druid? What, what were they like? Um, they were kind of cross between uh, lawgivers, administrators, uh, priests. Um, they were highly educated. Uh, they, they 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 provided laws. Uh, they they could c- control more than one tribe's uh, activities at any one time. They they um, uh, administered uh, disputes. They, they took part in wars, and they did commit human sacrifice hmm. uh, um, uh, on a ritual nature, usually with willing victims.
2: Uh, and I understand that many of them were. Uh Condemned uh, criminals.
0: Who in had some cases, but in some cases, the 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 what, the, the, the things, some of bog bodies have been found, and these people who people who've uh, been fed a very. Uh, high-protein diet, they'd eaten uh, um, luxurious foods, they didn't have um, calluses on the hands, they hadn't worked physical labor. These were people of of some status who were presumably been willingly sacrificed for whatever belief system that that existed at the time. We have our suspicions about
2: such belief systems. Uh, We have uh, a whole, I suppose, uh, cosmos full of what we refer to as parasitical entities, we, were, we can't think of any other t- way to describe them. Mm-hmm. Uh, run into them all the time, and uh, you know, responsible for the folklore about demons and stuff. Okay, very mm-hmm. so anyway, we have to take another break, and we mm-hmm. will be right back on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Benina on CBS News Sky Radio, newskyradio.com dot com, with our guest Jeff Holder talking about paranormal Scotland. So stay with us. Mm-hmm.
5: no! Every new beginning comes from some other beginning's
1: end. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com <laughs>
2: And Welcome back, and we are back with our fascinating guest, Jeff Holder, a uh, Scottish author of many, many books of great interest about that uh, that region that country and uh, Jeff, I wanted to uh, just throw something out at you as we 're in our last few moments here, and we always like to get down in this show to what is this really all about what is actually happening here now, uh, as our listeners know on uh, nauseam, we are constantly talking about the multiverse you know the this business of parallel realities actually overlapping at times in certain places, and that that explains most paranormal phenomena, uh, as opposed to the traditional spiritualist approach, which I don't think uh, is good enough. At least that's our opinion. What do you think is actually going on in the paranormal uh, circus that often turns out to be the whole planet Earth, or in your case, particularly Scotland? I mean, just people are suggestible, are they imagining things? It was, is there a reality to it? What do you think?
0: What do I think? Honestly, absolutely, truly, and honestly, I have that, absolutely that's why I actually, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's well, okay, the most I'll, honest answer we've had. Alex, Alex, I'll expand that a little bit. Certain ailments do seem, as we discussed earlier about the sort of the scareship mystery, that does seem to be rooted in human psychology. Uh, they're, they're, we, we know that uh, elements in our physical environment can affect our uh, the brain. It can affect perceptions. So that might be an element on, on that. For myself, I I'm open to the possibility that these things are, are real, but I don't actually have a an overarching explanation or uh, uh, for, for for these things. I, uh, that that is actually beyond me, and I think. To an extent, I'm a bit suspicious of what I call explanationism. That you know particularly when journalists call me up, they say, "Well, you know, what's, what's the explanation for this?" I think, "Well, I have no idea." And that doesn't make for a good story. Explanations make right. for good stories, but yeah. I don't actually have those explanations.
2: I see. One of the things that people from the British Isles mentioned to us is that these things tend to be so, particularly ghosts, tend to be so common, particularly in smaller. You know, non-urban areas, the people don't pay any attention. If he, if that's true, and, and if the majority of people take these things for granted, would that not eliminate perhaps some of the tendency that Americans might have to be suggestible or to be to exaggerate or whatever? I mean, what's what, what say you?
0: If that was the case, then I, I might agree with you. But in in my experience, m- most people don't take these things for granted. Hmm. I think it it. it in many uh, cases, particularly people I've sort of spoken to face-to-face, they'll, they'll have one experience in their lifetime, one experience that they cannot explain, one experience that doesn't fit into the normal sort of paradigm of how we think the universe works. And that experience will, will remain dormant with them, and it's only when they sort of you know come to a talk that I give or something like that that they'll, they'll be reminded about that and, bring, uh, that and they'll bring it up. They don't take it for granted but it doesn't obsess them either. Um, In areas, in sort of certain rural areas, all I found is not so much that people take it for granted that they have a reluctance to talk about the subject with outsiders, a fear that they will be uh, ridiculed, um, a fear that they will be regarded as country bumpkins. Mm. And for that reason, there's sometimes a reluctance to discuss uh, with outsiders phenomena which many people in the area will know a lot about but they just don't want to talk about it i say well that makes sense and i wanted to give you
2: a chance to talk about your books and your website before we run out of time so please go ahead where can people get the books
0: well people can um the first place to go to is uh jeffholder.com it's as you pointed out g-e-o Holder. dot com. It's the website and there's there's descriptions of all the books and all that and what I'm up to and you know what I'm researching at the moment and people can input their own uh, experiences if they if they if they if they want to and so, which might t- turn up in in, in the books um, and then my blog's on there as well and you can also find me on you know Twitter and and Facebook just search for Jeff Holder but in in North America if you want to look for the books the place to go is is, is amazon.com ah, there's, amazon. there, there's an entire page devoted to my books on well amazon amazon.com so that's the, that's the, that's the, the easiest place to get hold of them excellent
2: okay very good well, Jeff, I guess uh, I want have lots more questions, particularly about poltergeists and things, but we'll have to have you back. You've just been a delightful guest. Yes. And, Ben, did you have anything uh, quickly to... Uh,
3: well, no, I was going to ask about nature spirits and fairies and stuff, but we don't have time for that.
2: Yeah, they're 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 big... I don't think you could relatives. say in,
3: like,
0: four minutes. No, no. No, I don't think I could.
2: No, but anyway, but, Jeff, thank you so much, and we'll be in touch off the air, and keep up the great work. Paul, Ben, thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it's very been a good. pleasure. Yes. And get to bed. Just... <laughs> 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 One o'clock in the morning in Perth, Scotland, I'm sure. Okay, everyone. Well, we certainly... Um, it was a great time talking with, with Jeff. Uh, we wanted to... Um Mention, of course, that uh, if you live in southeastern New England, Ben and I are teaching a course at the Learning Connection in Providence, Rhode Island, exploring the paranormal. That began uh, last month. Well, it actually began earlier this month, but the next session begins on Saturday, February eleventh, from one to three p.m. And it involves some classroom work too in Providence, but we also take a couple of field trips to sites of uh, well-known cases in the area. Is it still five weeks? Yeah. Okay, it's five weeks. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Now check it out at www.southcoastlearning.org, and you can also find plenty of information on that, and a link to it at behindtheparanormal.com, our show website.
3: I feel like there's not enough time in those five days to discuss everything.
2: No, we only make a beginning. Well, as we're always saying, it's the first day of school, and everything you know is (laughs) wrong, so...
3: First day of school, good pun. Yes, or as your
2: girlfriend would say, everything you know is dumb. Yeah, everything you know is dumb. <laughs> anyway, uh, I want to point out Barnes & Noble's uh, Nook, and e-reader and Kindle. You get my books, for my books anyway. Uh, you certainly can get uh, the Rhode Island, A Genial History, something of probably very little interest to in this audience, but also my most recent paranormal books, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, Footsteps in the Attic, and Faces at the Window. And again, BehindTheParanormal.com, are Show site, check out our guests, and there are over 300 podcasts. And we are approaching our, officially our 300th show because a lot of them weren't numbered. And we're going to have Linda Moulton Howe. It's going to be December 11th. Uh, and we're going to be, I think it's going to be
3: rather a landmark thing because we're going to be discussing yeah. things we've never, we're going to be tinkering, we're tinkering with a few ideas on a, some sort of way to celebrate our 300th episode. Well, exactly.
2: We're thinking of a CD, actually, that has uh, something like the best of Behind the Paranormal. So we'd ask you to express your opinions on what shows are your favorites. Uh, All the shows are numbered. It's easy to identify them. And just write to us at paul at behindtheparanormal.com or ben at com. All
3: right. So many thanks to our producer, Will Kosnick, and we will see you next Sunday. On December 4th, when my dad and I will host an open line show on, well, in any paranormal subject, it will be open game. In the meantime, tune into our New England Drive Time Show on WON 1240 AM and uh, ONWorldwide.com at 6 PM Eastern Time every Monday. And you can always get free podcasts of all our shows along with scheduled schedules and guest information at www.behindtheparanormal.com. And we'll leave you with a thought from that great Roman
2: Catholic-slash-Buddhist mystic Thomas Merton. The whole idea of compassion is based on a keen awareness of the interdependence of all living beings, which are all part of one another
5: and all involved in one another. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time.